I want to be where the people are. I want to see, want to see them dancing, walking around on those, what's that word again? Oh, feet. Flipping your fins, you don't get too far. Oh, man, King's Landing sitting on so much green fire thing whose name I'm forgetting. Oh, from the Mad King? Yes. Well, we'll, yeah, we'll save that till the end of the episode so people can skip over that because apparently people love to shit on Game of Thrones. Do, 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 do. Greatest show ever. Greatest show ever. I'll take Westeros over Middle Earth any day, any day, oh, not any me. day. Not me. I know. I'm just kidding. I'm just. Kidding. Uh, can we talk about? Would, game, let's talk about Game of Thrones real quick, okay? And this is okay. what I want to say. Skip over this. We'll put in chapters <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. You don't care. You're gonna listen anyway. <laughs> I, I, let me just say this. I this this season most anticipated season of all time of probably any show ever. I'd have yeah. To say. I mean, m- like millions of people buy HBO for two months just to watch this show. I bought it for three months to get caught up on the previous season and then watch it. And I have to say that this, the, the level of uh, anxiety fever pitched, like it is totally perfect to me. Even the whole new world with the dragon scene, I'm fine with. Um, and I loved uh, like the ending of the first episode and I love the ending of the second episode. Uh, the thing that I love the most, and it, you, I'm not going to spoil it, but there is a beautiful uh, scene in the show where these, uh, is it seven people, are around a fire. Oh, is it right? And my favorite part, someone said, uh, isn't it like something like, isn't it interesting, I think it was Tyrion, that all seven of us have been at war with the Starks at one time or another. And now here we are all in Winterfell trying to defend it. And it was just the interplay of those particular people that was I want to, perfect. I want to say something about that, but it's spoilerific. So skip ahead about a minute if you don't want to be spoiled. Burr, spoiler horn has been sounded. Go, Luke. Yeah. This is why the Starks had to die. Yeah. I never quite understood why, just besides having to bring them to their to their lowest point. But now I get it. The Starks had to die I mean, so Arya could be a badass, so Sansa could be hardened by a terrible life, um, so that Jon Snow could ascend to the mantle that ultimately he is to have. Um, yeah. And, and so those people could be in that room having that conversation. Because, you know, like like if they don't die, it's I, I just don't know if it has that dynamic to it. You know, and the thing that I loved about that part was it was a very like so I watched it with uh, Aaron and Chris and Christina and Christina hasn't watched any of it. Aaron's watched a bit and Christina is my sister. For those of you who haven't been paying attention, um, like she even thought it was good. And it's crazy because it was just good and entertaining in 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 and of its own. But the amount of depth that was there, if you've watched everything and have really uh, kept up with it was incredible and well done. I didn't. I was a little bit concerned that D and D were not going to be able to pull it off after the disaster that was a few episodes last year. 
But this is this was this episode this past week was one of my favorite yeah. of the whole of the whole show. You know, and uh, upon my second viewing of a movie, like I can't wait to see Miss Marvel or Miss Marvel Captain Marvel again, um, because my second viewing usually gives me my most fair viewing, and I did not like season seven as a whole when I watched it, but I loved it rewatching it right before season eight. Like all the things I was like, eh, the pacing's off, and eh, this, all oh, that. It. And when I rewatched, it, I was like, I didn't. Uh, why was I thinking? I, this is great. See, my issue with it was not the pacing. I'm fine with that. They've, I mean, they go really fast in, yeah. in season one. They're in King's Landing by episode yeah. three. Uh I don't believe John and Danny are in love because I feel like they're just really good friends. Like I feel like the actors don't have. I think they have good chemistry, but they don't have like in love. Like you know, there's yeah. some people on screen that you're just like, you buy it. They just got yeah. it, and you just buy that they're in love. They don't have that. I buy that they're really good friends, and I think it'd be much more interesting if they were just really good friends, because they just seem like really good friends, not people who are in love with each other. I don't buy that at all. Um, and I just thought that more people should have died north of the wall. That was just absurd to me that only one of them died. The Hound, Tortman. Someone should have. Someone needed to have the story, our story, unresolved by a brutal death because that's what Game of Th- that's that's the world that yeah. they created, yeah. and they just fucked that up completely. Yeah. Okay. As an old, old I'm catching Fox's f bomb there. Yeah, I. You know, you know who I would have liked to have seen die was uh, Dondarian. Barrick Barrick Dondarian, the dude with the eye patch in that Dondarian. Oh yeah, he would have been a yeah. great guy because he's he's a noble dude. For the most part, but at the same time, he would have been a great death. But yeah, because he's a, yeah. he's a minor I, I, character. Like he's, you can expend him, but I don't know. I think the Hound or Tortman, because you want to, you, you just needed to have that gut punch of like your story can't be over, but it is because that's, that's how the world works. Yeah. That's how Westeros yeah. is. But I do like what. Uh, so here, another spoiler for this this last episode. I do like what they did Burr. with the the Hound and Arya. How she's like, you know, why are you here? You've never cared about anyone but yourself. And then he's like, long pause. I cared about you, didn't I? Or I protected you, didn't I? Or whatever it was. And she kind of didn't have. Yeah. I loved that scene because he did. Like th- she humanized him in the same way Arya was for him what um, uh, Lady Brienne was for Jamie. The closer Jamie gets to her, the more noble he becomes. Boy, did I want them to kiss. Oh, I wanted him to say, so... I wanted him to say, now listen, I know you're infatuated with me, but that wildling man over there, he's in love with you. <laughs> yeah, I love it so much. <laughs> he stands up and applauds. <laughs> and applauds. My wife is like, I just love that guy. I just love him. I know. It's he's, so wonderful. It's such a wonderful character. You know what sucks as well about this last episode? And, and then we can stop. Unless you want to keep going. Um <laughs> Uh, one okay, one really quick. Jenny's song, man. I was, I've. That's a theory that I knew about. Not a theory, but it's a thing that I kind of had an idea about. It's, it's the first thing that's popped up in, in, in the show that's from the books that I completely like had a somewhat of understanding about it before it was on the show. Tell me about it. And I was like, so it's uh, this is going to be again. I don't know like everything about it, but uh, so it's a it's. The song that there's this like crazy old um, woman who can like foresee the, the future, and this is in the books. 
she um, she will do it if you play her that song. And then and she always weeps and says, that's my that's my Jenny song. High in the holes of the kings who are gone, Jenny would dance with her ghost. The ones she had lost and the ones she had found and the ones who had loved her the most. The ones who'd been gone for so very long. She couldn't remember the names. They spun her around on the damp old stones, spun away all her sorrow and pain. And she never wanted to leave, never wanted to leave. The, and the person who's like the old woman it's kind of implied that she was the friend of Jenny. So it has deep Targaryen roots with Aegon the fifth and John is Aegon the sixth. So it's something about, I believe, and I believe it's tied into the Blackwater, the Blackfire rebellion or the, or the like Blackwater rebellion, which was a rebellion within the Targaryens against other Targaryens. When Jenny of old stones came to court after marrying Prince Duncan Targaryen, she was accompanied by her friend, a dwarvish albino woman who was reputed to be a, was, a wood witch, a woods witch in the, ne- rither, uh, in the Riverlands. Lady Jenny claimed that she was a, chi- uh, a child of the forest, although this was not true. After hearing the woods witch prophecy uh, that the prince that was promised would come from the line of Ares and Raelia Targaryen, their father, Prince Jaehaerys, insisted that they marry. The woods. I thought their, I thought their dad was Prince Aegon V. The Woods Witch was present at the tragic destruction of Summerhall in 259 AC and was believed to have died there. However, she somehow survived and returned to the Riverlands, where she mourns for her friend, Jenny. Hmm. And it's at, and it's at Summerhall. Like, his, didn't the thing that happened at Summerhall as part of that whole rebellion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was an old rebellion where they burned that. Didn't, isn't that where they burned it to the ground, right? I, yeah, I think that's where like the dragons end or so, or it's the beginning of the end of dragons or something like that. And so, because it's kind of like in a weird way tied into John, because it's it's about the end. It's just one. It's like an awesome song, and it's about the end of like a thing, and it's about the splitting of a of the Targaryens, which I think we're seeing with John and Danny. So you know, so I think it's I think it's. Um, it's it's cool because they use it like if you understand it in, in the books, it's a really cool. Um, it's like a, just a great like reference. Yeah, it's, it's cool to hear it in the story, and then it is a little bit prophetic to what's going to happen. I think in terms of people of like having like a real um, violent event. Yeah, and then also the split of the Targaryens when Rob Stark, King of the happen. North, stops at Old Stones when en route to the twins, which is where he dies. Rob recalls a song about Jenny of Old Stones to his mother, Caitlin Stark. Ooh, I didn't know that. And like, this is the thing about game of about game of Thrones. Like this right here is why people love it. So there was this tweet that I saw where a person was like, "We can do better," and it was showing that all of the uh, all of the, the trending name, all of the trending topics here in the states were all were all Game of Thrones 
characters. I'm just like, screw you. Like, I get it. You're a whole, you're like a holy Catholic, but like, this is a really Wait, badass. Say that story. again. Say that again. There was someone on Catholic Twitter who had some posts, and she had a screenshot. He or she had a screenshot of all the of all of the trending topics here in the United States, and it was all Game of Thrones character. And the tweets read, "We can do better" or something oh, like yeah. that. There's a lot of people on Twitter just crapping on right. on Game of Thrones. I'm like, you don't like. I'm just like. Figure out why people um, people enjoy this show, and then decide for yourself if you think that's stupid or yeah. not. Most people don't like it because of the stupid boobs and because of all of the violence. They like it because of the insane plot and the crazy backstory and how the backstory actually relates to the pl- how to the main plot in a really beautiful and kind of complex and very um nuanced way. And if you, and if you don't like that, fine. Or or if you don't think that that's equal to or or that you know uh, trumps the bad stuff, fine. But don't act like it's a stupid show. Yeah. Or that it's like you know not. I'm just. Ugh. I hate it when people crap on things they don't understand. It drives me crazy. I just hate it when people crap on stuff I like. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's 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 probably yeah. true as well. Oh, I, I feel like our podcast is just becoming us crapping on people's Twitter posts. <laughs> uh, if we don't crap on it, who will? Oh, everyone else on Twitter. Everyone else. Yeah, seriously. I've decided I, I'm off of Twitter. I'm off of Instagram. Don't try to contact us on there. I'm not going to bother. I'm reading it. It's not that I don't appreciate it. Uh, it's just becoming too much. And um, I don't want to have Endgame spoiled. I don't want to know if it's good. I don't want to know if it's bad. I just want to go and see it. Which, but when everyone hears this, I will be I will be watching it that that evening. I'm not going to respond to your text. I appreciate them. Yeah, but I think I'm. I think I I need a break, man, from all of it, so. dude. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you. How's it been? It's been wonderful. It has been wonderful. I have checked social media probably, probably for two minutes in the past three weeks. And it's been great. Uh, there's no reason to have it. The re- all the benefits that we think are there, you can get either the really good benefits you can get in other ways, or uh, they're actually just robbing you blind. <laughs> they're not benefits what at are, all. Uh, what are those really good well, benefits? Well, like staying in touch with like people who don't live around you that you can, you know, they can see photos of your kids or see what you're up to or see your photos of your spouse or whatever. Like, okay, you can do that. That's fine. Like, that's great. But that's not what we do. The moment we do that, we feel like, well, I need to broadcast everything to the world immediately. And, uh, and it's Mm -hmm. just funny that once you start to curb it, you'll be like, Oh God, I did this all the time. I felt like every thought was worth being published. And let's be honest. Like we sometimes do it only to see how many people will like it. Yeah, I started to get. Yeah, I like. I think in tweets, like oh, yeah. I think in yeah, terms yeah. of 140 characters. You know, <laughs> like this isn't good for my. Brain. I, I write in those terms, um, and that's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so I, um, I'm going to, I'm, I'm taking a bit of a break. Again, it's just because I, I, I don't want to know if Endgame is good or bad. I want to go in with my low expectations, and dear God, please, um, let me be blown away. Um. There's a part of me that just you know, and I and I know it can be used for good, and I know there's goodness to it. But I think for myself, I just need a break. Yeah. You know, I feel bad because like 
uh, someone like Father Harrison has like um, sent us all these really cool messages that I really want uh, uh, to respond, but I feel so overwhelmed and his stuff is so deep and so good that I want to give it it's like proper attention and I can't. Like while I'm on there, I feel, I feel like I can't because I want to like dive deep, but I feel like how I use Twitter is in these like half a minute, one minute burst. And that's not enough to process these really deep, awesome, long thoughts that like he's taking the time to write. Interesting. Yeah. I don't want to, th- I, I just, we, I got to get away from it and I'm happy that I am. I'm, and I kind of feel like a little bit like, the big thing that stopped me before when you were kind of on our whole anima tech tech technique of vacua kit, which I mean kick, which we still are, I think, but um why I why I always justified my use of Twitter especially was because um I wanted to be on there for the podcast. And it's and it's been really great. So I've connected with a lot of amazing people on there and connect in fun ways. But I feel like now we are established enough that I don't really need to be on yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, I probably, we probably could to do some better on marketing, but I'd rather put more effort into my job and to my wife into, um, and into Patreon. You know, what, <laughs> into Patreon. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, well, yeah. Cause it kind of um, sucks. Cause that's always the first thing to go when life gets really busy as it's been during Lent. Like what's your, like when you get really busy, what's the first thing to go <sighs> with you for you? When I get really busy, what is the first thing to go? Huh. Huh. My dignity. <laughs> no, well, but so like, it's, practically uh, speaking. Yeah, it's, I mean, television, 100%. So right now, the only thing I watch that is considered entertainment is on Sunday nights with my wife. We have a glass of wine and watch Game of Thrones. And we don't, I don't watch just a glass. Yeah, but it's a tall glass. It's like half a bottle in a glass uh, <laughs> each. Um, According to your text, it was point of seven point seven five. Me and my wife, point seven. It was a long Lent, Luke, and it was a long Easter vigil. Uh, no, so the first things to go, uh, it's all the entertainment stuff, and then it's all any garage woodworking, house cleaning stuff. Sometimes what I do when I'm like super, it depends on the type of stuff, like. Right now, this week, I have evening stuff. So I'm teaching Protestants. Tomorrow night, I'm doing Spanish adult faith formation. In the morning I, okay. I, or in the evening, I have all these, uh, uh, my Spanish adult faith formation ladies coming over tomorrow night. Um, I'm going to a high school Wednesday morning. I have a, a walkthrough for our people, but Protestants converting to Catholicism on Thursday night and then Avengers Endgame on Friday then I'm preaching at the prison on Saturday, and then I have the rite on Sunday. So it's a pretty full week. There's a lot of movement to it, but it's not like Michael Gormley sitting at a computer constantly typing stuff. Um, when it's that kind of busy, the um, like when I was doing my videos for Ascension Press, I had to crank out 21 scripts, and I've never written a script before, so I was super nervous about it. I would, and I had to write like all these like statements of work and like all, or not, I can't remember what they're called, but like the big picture of what I'm trying to do. I would, you know, wake up at 5 30 in the morning. So sleep goes away. Um, any extracurriculars like woodworking, drinking beers with buddies, um, any of that stuff when it's like crunch time. Yeah. What about you? You're a better man than me. The first thing to go typically is my prayer life, which sucks. 
Um, not because prayer isn't a priority, but I have this weird thing where I like, I feel like if I'm not, uh, I, I just hate doing things poorly. Yeah. So if I feel like I'm not going to get quality prayer time in, or if I feel that I'm rushed or whatever, I get all anxious and I'm like, well, I'll just, I'll try to get to it. And then I don't. Um, so it's that typically, and, and um, which is why I find the liturgy of the hour so helpful. Cause it's just like, this is when I have to do this. Yeah. Um, Two, this and this probably tends to be like as I get older, it gets worse. Is my health, so I just eat poorly and I don't really don't really exercise yeah, yeah, yeah. at all, yeah. like in the slightest. Um, and so I, I mean, I can re- this is terrible for your body, but I can go from like you know I can run like three four miles at a time, and just be in great shape. Then I'll put on like you know um, thirty to fifty pounds, and it's gonna kind of like go back and forth between those two things over a span of like five years. Yeah. Yeah. So that's horrible. Um, and then the third is usually the like least urgent. Like, so like you're like urgent, but important stuff. Sorry. You're not urgent, but kind of important. So the Patreon tends to be, I, I always want to, I, you know, I'll be on a roll with that. And then, I start my new job or I, or I start this job transition and it's just like Patreon just drops. And because I don't, it's not urgent and, um, and uh, emails getting back to people about like shows like six, eight months down the road, um, different things that are like, Oh, this is important, but I don't have to deal with this right now. Um, yeah. Tend to go f- um, first. So I'm, ha- and, and I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, like with my, with, with this, a new job it's been you know pretty brutal in a really good way i really enjoy the you know the organization that i'm working for i really like the people that i i am working with i love the work that i'm doing um this is just the first job i've had where i mean i've um i'm not in charge i don't know what i'm doing and i've got like a good buddy of mine from the archdiocese who's there john who used to to work for the catholic telegraph hi john he's like a big fan of the show um but i don't have anyone that um i've worked with at any sort of like i'm sorry i hope john doesn't feel like insulted by this but kind of like all the jobs i've had over the past few years there there are people that like i have known for like half my life you know or like a really really long period of time and so it's the most out of out of the element I've ever I have felt in a long time. So probably since moving to Eureka ten years ago, because that was the first time that like I moved anywhere where I really didn't know anyone that well. I, I but even then I at least knew what I was doing. So, anyways, um, yeah, this is probably the most out of control or barely hanging on I have felt in terms of like work in a long time. I feel like what you said really does resonate, but here's the funny thing. And I hate using this. You know, you, you brought it up though. I have to say you open this door to the seven habits of highly effective people. So I'm going to walk in, <laughs> right? Cause this whole thing is you make the quadrant urgent and important, not urgent, not important. The yeah. first things we need to get rid of is the not urgent and not important. The second thing we need to get rid of is the urgent, but not important. And the things that we well, need to maintain yeah, are the you want to you want to delegate those you don't necessarily get rid right of right them. well that's what I mean by get rid of I mean me not do right now like if you're if you're crunched on one thing that's dominating when I think of crunch I think of you know you got eight hours at work 
you know, six of those hours might be actually task oriented. You're doing stuff, probably two others, minutes a day, two of those hours are taken up by just being physically in an office with other people. Um, hey, I had this thought, you know, and you're like, all right, here goes my job. Uh, but the idea of being able to crunch, if you have something that's take up like 80% of those six hours, you know, some epic project. Um, yeah, the first thing, probably the first thing I do is work through lunch and then I, or I go and I grab fast food like boom. And so my hope with Exodus 90 is it kills that habit because you're not supposed to go, you know, you can't eat between meals. And while I could go and get that stuff, um, money wise outside of that, I'm trying to dramatically cut back. And if I take food from home, guess what I do? I eat better 10 times out of 10. I'm eating leftovers, and that's awesome. So there's a whole host of things that I know I do that if I just add like an ounce of awareness, I can do it 10 times better. And uh, so, yeah, so that's what I'm looking at. That's interesting, the ounce of awareness. Yeah, because, I, I, you know, I think like if I could do anything over once I knew it was going to take this new job, I wish I had gone to you and said, Hey man, I'm gonna be really swamped for the next like two months. So you might have to take over like more of the catching foxes stuff than like of, yeah. of like some of the stuff that I do, which really isn't a ton. But like, just you know, like, can you deal with like the, you know like these live shows yeah. and maybe just kind of post one thing a week on to Patreon and say and we can say, hey everyone, we're really like you know, and and it's, it's a busy. T- I think we're also this is kind of this is kind of like interesting too is really trying just to like uh, um trying to learn when can i be really really good at something and i think for us so for example lent is an actually insanely busy time for yeah. us uh you have rcia and then you do a lot of parish missions um i tend to i was really busy this past uh, this like you know past lent because i always had you know that's when i switched jobs and uh, there was it was quite emotionally and, you know, just time intensive because uh, it was somewhat out of nowhere. And in hindsight, I'm like, oh, how can we anticipate, you know, just and like just being more aware of what's going on, you know, being more in intentional about. So, like, you know, some of the podcast stuff is going to have to give. Yeah. So for people who don't know, I asked Luke if we could switch to Monday nights, which creatively <clears throat> can, can tend to be the worst nights but um if if we can do this on monday and i can start editing quickly enough like people talk about workflow all the time a lot of people are like mike you cut luke off in the middle of a sentence it it sounds like the middle of a sentence but that's because i totally changed the topic on luke and then we just ended the show and so the topic that i changed wasn't really relevant and then literally like within one minute later we were like three two one end and, but everyone said it sounded like I just cut you off or like it just ended. Um, but like things like that, like being being able to like I want to up the game for catching foxes in so many ways. Originally, when we put Patreon together, we thought, well, if we got five thousand dollars a month from people, we could buy video cameras and then start doing YouTube videos. But the idea is all I want to do is carve out more time to make the audio better. And then what I want to do is chop up the audio to make them available on YouTube, either in digestible segments, 
animated slideshow. I don't even know. But, like, I want to double down on that side. I think it'd be fun, but, like, I have a face for radio. I'm under no illusions that I am not a handsome, attractive, uh, you know, individual that can woo people to the silver screen. But I just, yeah, anywho. But Sorry, no, go ahead. Hey, friends, Gomer here, and I wanted to interrupt our broadcast so Luke and I can make money from our other friends over at CatholicMatch.com. If you don't have a profile and you aren't already married, then what are you waiting for? It couldn't be easier to start a profile right now. Make sure you put Catching Foxes Made Me Do It to find the right kind of Catholic to meet up with, maybe watch a little Game of Thrones together, and then immediately go to confession with each other the following morning. Listen, we've all heard those love stories and chastity sucks about God sending Mr. or Miss Right to someone out of nowhere, some mythical perfect timing, it all fell into place. Well, that's cool and all, but there are actual practicing Catholics who are single and ready to mingle on CatholicMatch.com. So take this as your mythical sign from God to get the stepping. Head over to CatholicMatch.com, and if you still aren't convinced, and I don't know how our brilliant series of ads hasn't done the trick, then just read some of those success stories. Broaden your search, expand your horizons, and pursue your vocation like a freaking grown-up. Man, that was good. I like that. Thanks to the fine folks at CatholicMatch.com for supporting our show, for some reason, yet again. And so it's stuff like that that, like, once Apple, and Apple's going to do this. Apple is really leaning into the full boundaries of the MP3 format within its own podcast player. Because they, they weren't really adding chapters. They were Johnny-come-lately on all this stuff. But now they're starting to really, like, pay attention to the Apple or the uh, podcast community in a new way, technically. And so I'm excited what they're going to do. But if I can invest in that, like, that's where I'm super excited. So if even if I have a crazy week, like, this week is a crazy week. I have to give two talks to 450 maximum security inmates on Saturday, and I don't have a single thing written yet. So, like, I got to figure all that stuff out. Um, so these are just things that are bubbling up in my mind. I do want to do a YouTube channel. I think that would be fantastic. Right now I'm just thinking, like, but there's so much more within the audio format that we can yeah. play with. And I want to bring this back so it just, like, to the topic so it's not, like, so, like, so, like meta and it's just our podcast. I was talking about our podcast. Um, I mean, but I think you, I think you, that's a really good point that you just brought up there that was a really great example is that when you try to be more intentional quite often what what that like what that means is that it's not that you end up doing more the things with a better attitude but you do the things that you're already doing on a deeper level yeah. And you give them more weight. You give them more attention. So, and like, because I think that like that whole like on the YouTube thing is a great example. We had a you know huge awesome, uh, f- uh, huge awesome uh, fan of the show who approached us about doing a lot of YouTube stuff, and we wanted to do it. But like realistically, I think we're like, ah, how can we do this and keep the podcast going? You know, like we just yeah. it just didn't really seem to fit. And um, even though like in our minds, like, well, it should fit. And I think everyone there's this big push now for people to go on to YouTube and to be 
like you know more like video oriented and that's fine i don't i don't have anything against that but i think for us we're called right now with where we are in our lives to be more in in potential and that ultimately means trying to make this podcast better yeah or continue like we've had a lot of talks about where do we take the direction of it like you know trying to like view you know it as like okay run album number you know if if you know like you were to view (laughs) the life of the podcast this is is a really dumb analogy but it does work this is what happens we we have to we have to spend um seven hours in a a car together Um, (laughs) uh we kind of you know talked about like where are we going to go with this and i and i said you know if we try if we try to view the podcast as albums we're on album number we're on album number three right now where we had the first big hit, we we did a good job in the sophomores in the sophomore slump, uh, potentially. Like you know, we had a good um, second album, and now it's like, do you have that staying power, which is what the, the third album ultimately is, and that's where most bands tend tend to falter. Isn't album two, the ones that have staying power, they make you know help or they make um, rubber soul on album three. So, that's very weird. Um, no, but it works because very long- this is the this is the thing. Like you have one group of fans that want you to never change. You have another group of fans that want you to evolve. Then you have a new group of people that are dissatisfied with uh, like the past and bringing it up. And then you have another group of fans that just like they just want the new or you know they have a everyone has their own image of what a show and i'm not just talking about our show like heck, game of thrones whatever it might be of what it should yeah. be right and i was just listening to i was listening to a podcast where someone was talking about a band um and they were very dismissive about it and i was just thinking about oh, it was about metallica someone brought up metallica and i was just thinking how funny that there's a lot of metal that were hardcore metallica fans they're almost like rad trad metallica fans where it's like i don't listen to anything after the black album Right, like after you know, once we get into two thousands, Metallica is dead to me. But the Black Album, that is the pinnacle of them, or you know, Ride the Lightning or whatever it might be, because their sound changed so much. But it's like there's that Billy Corgan, like I hate my fans. I'm gonna play the music that I want to play, and then he finally has to deal with the fact that people would just walk out on his shows if he didn't say, "Wow, there's a vampire," right? Like all these things, like they want what they want, and uh, it's just so difficult as trying to create something interesting that's still interesting and not the same old thing. It's got to be interesting to us, too. Like, uh, yeah. you know, one interesting thing, we had someone um, comment on one of our shows how they just absolutely hated it. And they felt like it was so alien to all the rest of the shows. And it was just an interview that we did that I thought, like, I like the interview. But I got, you know, a couple people say, like, oh, I really like that. But he made these comments. He was like, it was not. I've listened to every one of your episodes. And it was so bizarre because it was nothing like anything else. And I was like, huh. Like, I didn't get that feeling. But uh, it was the... Which interview was it? Was it was the, the Prisoner's Perspective with Mike Savage. Oh, yeah. That, that was kind of a left field thing. It was. It was. But it was like an interview with a Christian guy who had a conversion in prison. And he's going to tell you his story. And he's just a funny, interesting, quirky dude. <laughs> It was. I loved it. I well, loved. I had people, I loved the conversation. I had people come up to me and they were like, "That episode like changed me." And I was like, "Okay, like people loved that episode." But when this guy wrote it, 
um, he said, like, I just thought that episode, like, it literally didn't make sense to me with what you're doing. And I was like, maybe that should have been a B-side? Like, like just like this thing, yeah, like, but, it's, but I loved it. But here's the thing, and this is, like, there are times when I struggle with, is from a Christian perspective, I'm going to try to, like, just so, again, I don't want it to get too, like, on the meta, so just us talking about our podcast, try to keep it on task, so, um, on, on the topic, I mean, but, um, I, sorry, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to come down on you or anything, I'm trying to say it to myself, um, I struggle with when does intentionality become selfish mm. sometimes. Okay. You know, so, and this, and this is uh, what I mean by that. So that I, I remember, I think, I don't even know if I told this to you or not. I think we've talked about it since then that right before the scandals hit, I was like, I feel like the podcast could. Yeah. End. We've talked about this. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd be, you know, like, okay with it. I'd be, I mean, I'd be dead inside, but like <laughs> that we did what I wanted to do. And then the whole, then the scandal thing came up, and I was like, "Never mind." <laughs> um, and now, and I, I just don't. And now we've we become this like, you know, this thing that people pay for us to do this. Like we have people who pay us a lot. You know, uh, we are beyond like it's insane that these people pay us to do it, and we are so blessed and we are so grateful. And I feel such an obligation to them to make sure we have good content every week. Um. It's weird, though, when you start doing this because you have a thing you want to say and then you say it. And then it's like, then what? <laughs> so this tension between that, like, expectation of you having to do stuff and then this thing of, like, well, I only did it because I had a thing that I wanted to, like, say. And what happens when I don't have anything else to say? And I want to be in – this is why there are times I've thought I've gotten really – just people who have seasons because i'm like you can just take a break for two weeks that's amazing <laughs> now i don't want to do that because i love i'm talking to you and I, and I love doing this so like every time that i'm tired once i sit in once i sit in the chair it's just like i'm it's go time you know but i do struggle a bit with when you're trying to create stuff or you know or if you're trying to like um, work on on anything what's the opportunity cost of your intentionality you know, so of me being, if me wanting to be in, and let's just use the podcast as as an example. But um, if we want to be more intentional with the podcast, that and you know, try to really bring our voice to it and talk about things that we are we are interested in, that's at the risk of like alienating a huge portion of our of our like audience. A lot of which who pay us money to keep doing this. And so it's kind of like, what do I owe them? Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, so if, you know, like if you're a band and, you know, you have a label that has, you know, paid you half a million dollars because they they believed in like, you know, like what you were doing and you're a pop punk band. And then all of a sudden you're just like, you know what I really kind of want to do is write a Counting Crows album. And you just like in your whole, you know, <laughs> so like some bands do one for them, one, one, one for the fans, one for them, one for the fans, one for them. That's that's what the Coen brothers do as well with a lot of their films. Huh. OK. Is they just like switch it up, you know, so like true grits for everyone inside. Um, inside. Um, Lou and Davis is for like them. They're hardcore fans. 
it's a little bit less accessible, a little bit more of a risk, a little bit more of just, you know, I don't know how you do that with podcast, especially one that's week to week. Yeah, it is. It's, it's interesting because like, especially then when you like, you know, throw into the whole, let your yes mean yes thing, a let your no mean no. Yeah. That's, that's where I mean, like, where does the intentionality be, become, become selfish? I'm not saying that the Coen brothers are. They have the they have the they have the financial they have the audience they have the financial freedom to do that. Yeah. But what if you don't? Yeah. yeah, that's really interesting because I feel like <clears throat> I feel like I owe such a debt to the Patreon listeners, and it's it's given me a motivation that exists outside of my emotional desire sometimes. Like, I am exhausted to edit or to add chapters mm-hmm. or to do, you know, whatever. And it's like, no, this has to go out because we have people who are paying. But the payment is funny. The payment comes – the payment, it's not the the money. It's that the money reflects or is a symbol of a commitment on behalf of our yeah. fans, right? Like, there are yep. literally people who pay us a dollar, two dollars – you know, $26.12 a month, whatever it might be. Some people put in put in funny amounts just to make us laugh. Um, but there are different things that people do. But just the idea that, like, that's a vote that's bigger than Netflix. I don't, I don't think there has to be a divide between what I need and what the fans need. But at the same time, intentionality needs to be uh like i i do feel like me and you need to get some better interviews lined up and you know really start pushing the pavement with that um in in whatever way we but can but see but like that's what i mean though in the sense that when life gets really busy that's what goes that's that's one of the things that goes it's like we don't have anything on lined up right now i can't even think about it though right now you know yeah, so you know, like when you when we talk about like in general when we're busy, like narrowly when I am really busy with work and I don't get to edit it. Like if I have a Thursday night event, that's when I edit. So if I come home and it's already ten o'clock at night, and I'm checking in with my wife and doing whatever I need to do with my kids, when I sit down to edit and I'm burned out, fans will get mediocre show art and the best editing. The editing never dies. Like, I will do, like, I am compelled to put in YouTube clips or whatever it might be. Um, every show. Sometimes it's funnier, I, I think, when you're tired because you'll just take a risk. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, <laughs> that's very true. But then they're, uh, but I, I'm not, like, super creative when I'm that tired. Or, like, things aren't like, oh, I should use this and use this. Like, every time you talk about the emotional pain of leaving work. At your old job, I always had in the arms of. I just yeah, not because you had said anything. It just sounds like a sad, sad song. And so I was like, "Here we go, fly away from me, Luke." Um, <laughs> but the uh, but the idea is, or the, fly, fly but everyone will know when I am really taxed because I will not create chapters. And I think it was an episode two weeks ago where I just there were zero chapters, and it was because. It was like two o'clock in the morning, and I was still <laughs> editing. And I'm like, "Screw this! I'm going to bounce it as an MP3, not as a WAV file." And I'm just just going to do it like I used to do it. And boom, done. So, yeah, 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 yeah. That gets brutal sometimes. 
And it is, I hope this isn't too boring us talking about the no, podcast. No, I don't think it is because people do is. write in a lot to us. Or I, I get stopped. People ask me all the time, like, what is it like to create this stuff and to try to come up with something creative? I had a beautiful experience with some youth ministers out in the Richmond Diocese. And I spent, um, I did their youth ministers retreat. Hey, y'all. And a handful of them were pretty, pretty consistent listeners to the show. Some were bingers, some just jumped on, you know, maybe a month or two ago. Um, some were relatively new. But it was fascinating to hear their different views. But everyone said the same thing, which is the reason why I listen is because you guys are honest. You know, and I find this, the stuff that you're talking about is challenging, it's refreshing, it's funny, or it's just painful in a good way, you know. And, uh, and a lot of people, you know, they said the same thing about the scandals. But the whole idea of... Like, I feel like we need to do this and I would die to keep doing this is because still, like, outside of a handful of new shows, there's a consistent lack of people being themselves. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I'm not putting on airs for this microphone in my face. Um, and sometimes I do, it does suck. I can't, I can't make the show the level of quality that I want. But when I'm so busy with family life, like... Oh my God, you gotta, I, do, I don't know what to do, man. My, my sweet, sweet daughter is just going through something emotionally right now mm, and she's seven yeah. and I can't fix it. And, uh, you know, like you have, and, and, and so here's one of the things that's difficult, right? It's perpetually in the back of my mind, but it's not a thing I can do. Like talk about that, like robbing you of your energy like, there's, like, these, like, my daughter is going through a lot of, like, emotional issues. And she is amazingly smart and talented and hilarious and all this stuff. But she does these things, like, if anything deviates out of what she wants or expects, she, like, immediately, like, yells no, makes fists, buries her head down into her, her chin, into her chest, and looks down, hair over her eyes, and just starts crying. Like, hot, angry tears. And it's like, baby, I, I literally just said we're not going to watch Shark Boy and Lava Girl. You know, like, 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 like yeah. we're going to watch yeah. another movie. We're not going to watch this one. And she's like, no, like, and I can't control it. So me and my wife take our kid to counseling. It's awesome. We're learning. You know, how do you deal with a kid with a lot of anxiety? How do you walk through this? How do you, like one of the, here's a funny thing, Luke, that infuriated me now that I know this. My daughter deals with anxiety, but it looks like stubbornness. So when she was um, three, she thought she needed a jump on the number three trampoline when she was at gymnastics. And her gymnastics teacher was going to teach her that in the real world, you don't get what you want, little girl. So every week she would put her on the number one or number four trampoline and never on the number three trampoline. And she thought she's building her character. And my daughter would lose it. And eventually we had to pull her completely out of gymnastics. And then we come to find out with this whole anxiety stuff. And this was, again, this was, this was actually years ago. Um, she's seven now. But when she was four or five, we took her to, you know, talk about this with some professionals. And they're like, she has an anxiety disorder. So her brain sees number three, associates that with the fact that she's three years old. Yeah. And she can't understand why the hell you, clearly this is hers. And you're doing yeah. everything, gym coach, to keep me from going here. This is mine. I need to be here. 
And is there a part of you that's angry? Is it gym coach? Oh of yeah, that? yeah. And this gym coach, like we have other gym coaches now. She's back in gymnastics. She's doing great. I mean, let me tell you how great she's doing. My daughter went down. I think I might have shared this. I hope I didn't. But um, I'm in repeats. But my do- both my daughters, seven and eight years old, went four stories up in the air in a tower, hooked up harnesses, and went down a zip line. Whoa! Z- I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. I didn't bring that up. I'm sorry. Yeah, Good job, so girls. It's when That's I, awesome. Yeah, I mean, like, tell them that, tell them that, like, flat Lukey says, "Great job." Yeah, I will. I will. Oh man! And to see Cecilia do it, my son Noah went all the way to the top. He's five. He got to the top, smiling ear to ear. They hooked him up to the harness, and then he said, "Nope, I'm not doing it because you just jump off a four story building." And Cecilia did it. I got it all on camera. No one who knows Cecilia believes she could have done that. And she crushed it. She did it with a smile on her face. She wasn't screaming or crying. She loved it. Hmm. And to th- and then we had a friend of ours who's an educator, amazing woman, and she knows everything about Cecilia. And she came up to me and she's like, or she came up to my wife and she's like, listen, I'm not a super fan of homeschooling. She said, but I see that that was because of what you've been able to do for her. Like in that environment, that it's just literally mom with her in most of the day, like able to help her and whatnot. And, um, and yeah, like, like, so you see these bright lights, but then today, man, it was so awful. It was so awful. Every step of the way, my other son, my terrorist son, my, my three-year-old, he was just losing it, like acting out, you know, like throwing these little fits And, and kids do that, especially when they're tired. And he was tired. None of us have recovered from Easter vigil. We had none of us have recovered. We all went to bed or they all went to bed at like 12, 15 and they all still woke up at like six o'clock in the morning. It was awful. Ooh. Yep. I went to bed at two 30 and woke up at six o'clock in the morning with them. Oh, um, but they like, he just went nuts. And then she was losing it every five seconds. And I'm like, this is killing. Like, this is the part of like when that emotional stuff starts being tacked on and I can't solve it. We're doing all the things we can do. Food, nutrition, exercise, being out in nature, um, you know, like all the things. Like people are like, you know what you need to do? And I'm like, I've, I've been doing it for two years now. Thank you. Thank you. You know, yeah. like we psychiatrist, counselor, pediatrician doing all that organically as well as the joys and triumphs of Western medicine. We are doing it all. <laughs> CBD oil. LSD. <laughs> <laughs> Hemp. I don't know why hemp is such a thing, but she's wearing hemp clothing. <laughs> she's got a she's got a hemp necklace w- with a shell in it. <laughs> Luke still has this from sophomore year. God, do you still have yours? Oh, good gosh, no! I wish I did though. Do you imagine how dirty that would be? <laughs> They're not dirty. <laughs> Those things, God. <laughs> they were, remember how itchy they'd be at first, and then you just get so comfortable, and you're like, "Oh, that's right." My uh, dad would never let me get one because he he thought it looked a little too uh, weird. Oh, man, he's I like, can't "What are you doing wait. wearing a choker? Are you a girl?" And I'm like, "No, sir. I'm a, I'm a man. <laughs> no, I am a man. <laughs> I'm a homeschooled plus two hundred pounds man." <laughs> Settle down, baby Huey. No one's talking about your weight. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for those things to come back. I'm gonna buy one immediately. Like, what's up, fellow kids? <laughs> <laughs> my wife, you know, my wife's OBGYN wears one, and I think about that all the time. <laughs> 
the cool part is that we've like you know it's been like the early now the mid 90s are back we are a few years away from rap rock being cool again man <laughs> limp biscuit <laughs> deliver we're, us we're, we're gonna have a precious like two months where we're gonna have swing music is gonna be cool rap rock is gonna be cool swing uh, man do you remember cherry poppin daddy daddies do what do you remember uh uh big bad big bad like Vito daddy yeah was it then yeah Oh man, what were the other bands? That was and then Mighty Mighty Boston's. That was it. Oh, they were not swing. They were Scott. They oh, were that's, true. Scott. that's I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Know your shit, Gomer. <laughs> um, Listen, man, I'm just living the zoot suit riot. <laughs> Throw back a bottle of beer. Man, how In funny the that there was a band called Cherry Poppin' Daddies. Like I, I remember I w- I bought their album and I was listening to it, and I was playing it for my sister-in-law sherry and she was like i think it's funny that your parents let you get this album and i was like what are you talking about and she's like with a name like cherry Poppin' daddies and i had no clue what she was talking about and i was like oh i had no idea either oh you mean the virgin women Poppin'? like did you know oh. that incubus was a bad name well it's like a satanic thing right like an incubus of death no no i don't i actually have no idea like that was a bad name. There, there's a lot of things from the '90s that really prove how innocent I was. <laughs> well, the, just the fact that we would sing "Whoop, there it is," and not actually know the lyrics of how sexually suggestive it. The Are whole, you serious? I mean, it's all about asses. <laughs> uh, so, Incubus. Oh, a male um, demon believed to have oh, sexual intercourse with sleeping women. I really love that one album of theirs. <laughs> Pardon me, Wildlanders. <laughs> he was he was he was atheist and really wanted you to know that. Yeah, no kidding. No water over wine. Hold my own and drive. Oh oh oh. Man, loved it so much. I thought it was eighteen eight, eight year old Luke, but he was so deep. Yeah. There's a uh, great song from Incubus. Um, and Crystal Method on the Spawn soundtrack. <laughs> That's right. Oh man, it's an awesome song, dude. The guy that I love, Nikki. I think they were. I thought they were very good. They actually had an album called um, Morning View. Came out when we were in college. Super chill, really yeah. good. They got into that acoustic scene, didn't they? Pretty hard. I mean, they definitely went way more. I remember them getting way more mellow. Hey, what's the like, name of that knows? band that was really popular? And no one knows that they were like a hard metal band, and then they went maybe new metal band. I don't know. And then the, then they started playing these like fun songs. Oh where yeah, where they're all in scooters and like, and they're all singing. Oh, what was the name? I can picture the lead singer's face. He has a black. Oh my hair gosh, I know. Like talk- it's not. It's not Goo Goo Dolls. No, because no. I mean even though, even though like they were kind of like a rock band, and then yeah, it was just, after like, Goo Goo Dolls. You know what? I think I know how to find out. Did it? I know what you're talking about. All right, they were oh uh, Snake Pliskin. Pliskin is that his? Yes, Snake Pliskin. He is in the movie Escape from L.A. <laughs> Escape from L.A. soundtrack. Here we go. I'm gonna get it because they had an epically angry song. Not Tool. Okay, here we go. Here we go. 
Oh, Gravity Kills was on there. Um, soundtrack. Stabbing Westward, Tool, White Zombie, Toadies, Butthole Surfers, and here it is, Sugar Ray. Sh- Sugar Ray, that's right. Sugar Ray. They were a metal Originally band. forming in 86 and playing heavier new metal style music, they achieved popularity with their song Fly, which then led to... Um, Shifted style dramatically to the radio-friendly pop sound. Uh, the best- I, 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 I remember they're in that they're in that one movie. I think it's Analyze This or, or something, and they're the band because it like they recorded it so that like the movie was made before they got big, and they were doing their hard sound, and then they got big, and it was released, and they were all like pop radio stuff. Yeah, and so like it like. And I, and I remember I'm watching going, why the hell are they playing hard rock? It was so weird. Yeah. It's That's so right. Funny. Sugar Ray. Sugar Ray. And the song that everyone will know is uh, the main one is um, Fly and Then Someday. Someday. Will every morning. Oh, no, we just did t- two different ones. Yeah. Sure. There's a halo hanging from my pillow of my oh, girlfriend's is that, is that every morning? Yeah, every morning. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Is that every morning? Let me think about it. Every morning. Yeah, that's it. Nailed it. So me and my wife did something that we haven't done in a long time. Sex. Yep. And, and. Uh, I think that was we, an easy joke. I'm sorry. No, it was an easy joke. I thought you would up the ante and go for a more um, risque sexual, like, like maybe like a sexual position. Like a position. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's what I was thinking, too, in hindsight. In hindsight. Sorry. Sight. <laughs> no. That's a sin. That's a sin. Uh, what no, the, I. What, what, okay, never mind. What? What are you going to so, say? Like, do you know how, like, in, like, popular culture became, like, really big to, uh, how do I put this politely? Uh, Having Toss sex? the salad of. Oh, God. Your yeah. partner. In yeah. the Catholic Church, would that be morally, I'm I'm just, just throwing out, would that be morally acceptable? Yeah, as long as it's foreplay. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Go on. It better be. It's <laughs> 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 got awkward quickly. Yeah, no, people don't realize this, but uh, so a funny story. So I was invited at our life. We just event. lost. So <laughs> it's the Catholic match at right there. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I was invited to um, to life teen at our parish and they were doing three weeks on human sexuality. And it was awesome. The curriculum that they came up with was spot on last year they did three weeks on pornography because the idea is you can have one night on chastity all the kids here is no right that's all they hear so their goal was how can they build a growing argument for the church's position that's you know theology of the body and 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 the do's and don'ts because kids want to know like how far is too far everyone asks that question i don't think it's an oh, inappropriate yeah, f- question Right, I don't yeah, think it's an appropriate question. Far the most asked thing. Yeah, yeah. How far is too you. far? Like it's Jason, ev- what? Trying to make the gospel practical, which is the whole like. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, well, Jason ever has this whole bit where he says, you know, like how far is too far is like saying like, you know, when he gets some huge football player and he carries, he has this thing where he carries the football player to the edge of like a steps or stairs or whatever, and he's like, how far is too far? You want to go further? You want to go further? And he's like, the idea is you're trying to push the line to the very edge where it's like, now I'm in mortal sin. Oh, well, all is lost. 
and I can I can understand his perspective, and I think there's there's a lot of truth in it. Like yeah, virtue, yeah. virtue doesn't walk right up to the line and walk your beloved right up to the line and then say, well, like, well, we never technically crossed. And so I I I appreciate that, but at the same time, it's like, but I want to know what what can I do at each stage of my relationship. And, well, and, and I think for like a lot of, especially teens now, but for you know pretty much everyone our age, I would say the like like millennial age group, like the big challenge of our times is a split between grace and nature, and a lot of that comes down to where's God in my everyday life. I want to know the yeah. practical, concrete examples. Yeah, and I think that's a really good practical, concrete example, which is why I agree. I get, and I, I think. I, I think that's a good answer on on his app, but I feel like sometimes people are too dismissive of that of that question. Yeah, and so within this, so our life team program does a great job. Like, like what is the human person from the lens of human sexuality, or what is human sexuality from the lens of the human person? Those are basically the two nights setting up the third night, which is your questions about human sexuality from the heart of the church answered, right? So imagine freshmen to seniors in high school for the previous three weeks were submitting questions for this one life night. And they asked me to come out because every year I do a theology of the body week of five days um, for our, for our church. And I could not have been more excited for this. And at one point (laughs) someone asked like, what are you allowed to do? Is oral sex? Okay. Is anal sex? Okay. Uh, you know, like all of this stuff. And he begins describing it. And it was so funny because he starts to get like super technical. And at one point he makes his hand into kind of like this, or this arm in like this swooping battering ram kind of motion. (laughs) And I reached across him and I go, I think they get what coitus is. I think they understand what sex is. (laughs) And we all just started dying laughing and i was like we don't need any more hand motions (laughs) and we're all like dying laughing and then i said but here's the deal like everyone's wondering like can can i have sex can i do this can i do that the church teaches right sex is made for something right It, it has an end it is made for something okay and that is procreation and bonding okay now we understand this but at the same time Sex is also an incredibly pleasurable activity that God willed to be pleasurable. The pleasure is not to be despised, but it's not. That's not really our our problem today. Our problem today is the pleasure just kind of consumes everything else, and we focus on it to the exclusion of its life-creating power. And so the idea is, right, the church— Is is it to the exclusion? Is it to the ex exclusion or at the ex or, or like at it at the exclusion? Uh, I, 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 know I don't understand I, I, the I, distinction. So I know I was trying to process. Uh, sorry, that was, that's a really weird thing to throw in there. Um, com- complete your thought, then I will go back to that. Yes. Okay. So I said to everyone, just learn this line. Okay. There are the, the two lines. The church grants great freedom in foreplay as long as it remains foreplay. However, nothing must ever make your spouse uncomfortable. Right? So if you were raised on pornography and your spouse was not, 
chances are your brain might have a tendency to go places that your spouse's brain doesn't want to go. The things that were common, if you come from a sexually permissive background and your spouse did not, right? So like uh, Jason Ever talks about his wife had many, many sexual encounters when she was in high school, right? She was, she was looking for that, you know, father-shaped hole in her heart and any man would do, right? And, and it didn't do and it undid her. And I think that his story and her story are very powerful together. And he basically says, I was a virgin when we got married, but barely kind of thing. And I think those are very good understandings. But it's like two people without a ton of communication, a ton of communication, can end up actually hurting your beloved and using your beloved in the very act of trying to give yourself to your beloved. So when it comes to questions of stuff, like, I mean, today I was reading this sex researcher who was saying how routinely when, when I meet with other people in our field, we are shocked at the fact that high school and now middle school people know more about sex and sexual acts than we do. Like all the, all the, the new stuff that's out there, the common stuff that's out there among middle school and high school students and the, and the um, language and terms they use are unknown to these researchers and so oftentimes they're like what is what does that even mean you know and so things like like um i'll never forget when i was in high school is when all the anal stuff started uh getting super popular and a girl was like oh yeah all the boys at my catholic school prefer anal and i was like what she's like yeah because it's so much tighter down there it's much more pleasurable for them and i remember sitting and she goes look at you you're blushing this is so cute and i was just the whole time I remember thinking, like, these women's vaginas have been so used that they are no longer sufficiently tight enough for these men. Ugh. And these men then demand, like, now we need to move to the next thing. And so I, um, I was talking with someone, uh, uh, one of my coworkers. She does um, my job at a different church here in, in Texas. And she, was, she had no idea that in porn movies they actually had sex. Wow. And I thought that is, I, I literally said to her, that is so cute. <laughs> I did not know people thought that. And she's like, wait, they're not faking it or like camera editing. And I was like, no, they're, they're really having sex. And she's like, oh my gosh, that is so unhealthy. And when she said that, it reminded me, I think I might've shared this with you, but this one, I, 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 I share this story all the time. There is, there's a YouTube video of a porn actress being interviewed and it's all like this, like this horrible stuff, but it's fascinating that when it's like, a porn actress being interviewed by a porn consumer, right? Some guy who, you know, like blah, blah, blah. Like the things they'll say. And this one woman's like, well, you know, like before we do an anal scene, I won't eat for 24 hours. Um, oh, this is the stuff I don't want to know. No, no, but li- to me, no, this is the most fascinating thing. So she talks about how if anything is going down there, it is practically sterile before they shoot a scene. And now you have a whole bunch of stupid high school and college students who are watching these videos thinking, oh, they're just having anal sex. Let's have anal sex. Why do I have hepatitis B today? You know, like they have no idea that these people literally, I mean, they do the whole thing. They do like laxatives, fasting, enemas, cleaned out, sterilized. I know it's gross to talk about, but this is a reality. It's like, it looks like one thing. But it's actually a, net, a a totally other thing. The Hollywoodization 
like these actresses are, she, and she'll say like, oh, doing this to that. Oh, that's really unhealthy. I would never do that. Only amateur porn actresses do that because they don't, they're all sick. She's like, you would get, you, you get sick so easily doing this stuff that if you don't take these precautions and I'm like, no one, no one is doing this. That girl in high school, back when I was in, uh, you know, a high school student in, uh, she was from Pittsburgh. I was in, uh, where were we? We were in, oh, we were in Denver at this, you know, thing. And she was just a girl that I'd started talking to and got to know. She was in my little ministry service crew. And she thought it was hilarious that I haven't had sex yet. And she thought it was really hilarious that, like, no one that I knew was having anal sex because everyone that she knew was doing it. And it's like, these stupid high school kids, they don't. But they all, I mean, literally, these kids are sick as hell. <sighs> where do we go from here? <laughs> this is the episode where we're either going to just explode and get huge or it's, we've had a good run. <laughs> we have had a good run, folks. Gomer started talking about the <laughs> prep work for porn actresses. Luke was asking if rim jobs were morally acceptable. <laughs> Gomer kind of giggled when he said it and said, can't wait to get technical on this one. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. <laughs> I think the kids know what it is. <laughs> Moving along. Still my favorite moment in youth ministry, and I'm not even in youth ministry anymore. <laughs> you know, this really is the point of when, like, the podcast just becomes more about stuff that we would talk about if we were just hanging out. <laughs> like 100%. you guys want to know this is this is pretty much it's not that we talk about this a lot but these are things that i mean these are things that like when i listen to these matt are, Frad's, these are actually really important things yeah yeah when i listen to matt frad's um love things use people um he does it also with that noah guy like i i i listened to it a lot more like i would say a year ago especially since i was giving a lot of pornography talks and stuff and um, I went online and there was a, on, on, <laughs> I went online, uh, there was a, the, the YouTube video that I saw, right. With interview with this porn actress. And she was saying like this guy, like, this is how sleazy it is. Right. He said, so what's your favorite part about doing porn to this young actress? And she goes, well, um, you know, for me, honestly, it's like, the connection that I get to make with people like, you know, like you really do, you, you get this level of intimacy with people that you just otherwise wouldn't get in any other profession. And he's like, no, like, like, like oral anal, like what's your favorite? <laughs> and Like for him, he's like, no, I want to consume. I don't care about your emotions, your feelings, who you are as a human person, what your goals are. Get rid of all that. Tell me, tell me, tell me. And I was like, to this day, I still hear that line. Hmm. And I'm like, I am shocked. Like, she should have just got up and left. Like she was not That's a human being. Yeah. She was yeah. not a human being, but I hesitate talking about this. Cause it sounds like I was watching porn. I wasn't. These were like a whole bunch of linked Google serve YouTube algorithms served videos. But of course I was watching stuff like, you know, people's presentations on pornography, on addiction, Ted talks, you know? And so that's, that's, that's why I was served up. Yeah. Like this is, one, this is actually, um, um, this is one of the reasons why I'm really excited for more chastity talks because I feel like a, it's a lot of the niceties of the past are now gone. Yeah, or it's just kind of like it's kind of like shut the hell up. Like let's 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 talk like it. Let's not like adult. Or not, I'm not adults because I'm I'm talking about in, in terms of high school kids or yeah. college kids. But like, I mean, I can 
I remember, you know, hearing talks at Steubenville and just being like, when I was in junior high, when I was in seventh grade, I heard a girl behind me talk about giving a guy a blowjob. Yeah. And you're, you know, and you're like, sign this card and pledge yourself. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, it's like, you're a little bit, you're not with the times, whoever you were that had very good intentions. Um, <laughs> whoever you were, well-intentioned. And I feel like now we're at a point yeah, where, like, people kind of understand, hey, like, the damage has been done. We need to speak to the damage. Yeah. Like, we need to get specific and say when you, like, when I, when X happens, you know, when um, whatever, uh, you know, or, or like, I mean, like, just the fact that, like, you said, like, because I think, like, most people in the past would have crapped on the on the porn star as opposed to that guy. And instead of being like, like, you pointed towards the fact that it was the real tragedy there was that this guy was so consumed with his porn use that he could not see her as a human person. Yeah, I mean, it was it was shocking. It was in stark relief. I'm, you know, like a different connection. And she sounds like an airhead in the way that she's, you know, talking like, ah, you know, and all that. But, but she's but, like, but uh, she, the whole thing is personal for her. And for him, it's like, no, no, no. Like, what position? Like, blah, blah, blah. But don't you think that in the past, people just would have crapped on the fact that a porn person was being interviewed for anything? Oh, yeah. Well, and, and in the past, what... And maybe bloggers would write today if it achieved anything other than, you know, Google algorithm kind of or YouTube algorithm hit. But um, like if it became like a famous piece, like if someone if it was published in like the New York Times, like an honest interview with a porn star or whatever, I think people would crap on her and say like, oh, really? Well, you're in the wrong profession if you want an honest connection with people. And I think that's totally true. But this person doesn't know that or this person can't see that. And one of the fascinating things in Matt Frad's book on. um the, the porn myth. He talks about how there's a woman who's a psychologist out in LA. And so like tons of her clients are porn stars. So she's become like this de facto porn star or porn actress, actor, um, therapist. And so they come to her and word got around and all this stuff. And she says, there are people who get into pornography, typically get in for three reasons. They're addicted to, to sex. They're addicted to money or they're addicted to fame. And the porn is their way to those things. And she said, and this was fascinating. She said, the, the ones I'm least worried about and the ones who are better off in that kind of industry, and I don't know if this is a Matt Frad thing or I went and researched it more, but I'm pretty sure it was a Matt Frad book, um, was the women who are addicted to sex. The women who are addicted, she said, I'm really worried about the women who are addicted to money and fame. Because they will do anything to get it. And if having one sexual partner isn't enough, they'll have 50. If having 50 isn't going to make you the big bucks or give you the big fame, they'll have 200. And there is a woman, uh, and her name sticks out because she's from Houston, or her name is Houston. She has this famous, like, she has the Guinness Book of World Record or whatever world record for the most, she had sex with the most amount of men. And she was interviewed oh. about it, and she was like, and because she converted, she left pornography, not shortly thereafter, at some point after that, and she was like, it was the most painful experience of my life. There was nothing enjoyable about it. She was like, it was horrible. It was with like hundreds or something. I don't know. It was crazy. 
But I mean, she was like, I was in pain, you know, down there for weeks or it was horrific. And she left pornography, had a big conversion. And then apparently she went back and it's hmm. like, you know, and, and she felt, she felt the peak of awfulness. And yet even that wasn't, and I'm not trying to judge her soul. I don't, I don't, you know, it's not like I'm watching these interviews every day, so I can't really remember the whole story. You catch little snippets and it's like, oh, the Houston, that woman who converted that woman who had that record. Like, you know, you kind of link these things in your brain because her name is Houston. I live in Houston. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, this whole thing. And, and I think she went right back to that lifestyle. And mm -hmm. uh, there was one woman who I think it was that after porn documentary where she talked about this one woman's like, oh, yeah, I've done 300 movies. And it's her first year. So she's done at least one movie a day every day. But if if you make fifteen hundred dollars, and this woman's a, let's just say she's addicted to money, you know, make fifteen hundred dollars a movie or three thousand dollars a movie, she's like, well, I'll just do the math. If I do two movies a day, guess what? You know, I'm going to be a millionaire. You know, in a couple years or you know whatever, minus my life expenses. Maybe in five years I'll be a millionaire. I'll get out of this life, or maybe I'll keep going. Maybe I'll be maybe I'll make ten million dollars in the you know and. And, and this is so this is the deadly dangerous thing about it, you know? Yeah. So I wonder what in her life is urgent but not important. <laughs> what does she have to cut from her busy schedule <laughs> in order to keep the main thing the main thing? Oh man. It isn't it funny how it like all that does kind of I mean not not I mean there it's obviously especially with the porn stuff, it's an incredibly complex or or in or insanely brutal but a lot of times it does come down to just like an honest can i confront myself honest honestly and can i address those wounds and those needs yeah. and those challenges in intentional ways or yeah. am i just going to kind of like shove it down and just do what i can to make myself feel good or just go or like find different ways to to justify this yeah and when you run out of justifications what do you do and will the church be there for you or will it have dismissed you like the guy who is the most famous man in porn i recognize him from my porn watching days he left it all behind he's been on a you know he's done a lot of interviews and stuff he said, like, I was literally eating dog food. I had no money. And then someone offered me, you know, X amount of dollars. And suddenly I can pay my rent in Hollywood. I wasn't an actor. I was a porn star. And then he became one of the most famous men in porn. And then he walked away from it all. And his story is powerful. I can't remember which of the anti-pornography groups did an interview with him. but Or they did, like, a little mini documentary. But it was, it was powerful to hear him feel like, you know, you, you just hate your life. So you drink and you do drugs. He's like, they bring, they bring drugs onto the set. Like, because they know, like, they got to get the film made. So you have to kill whatever is inside of you that's saying, oh, maybe all these cameras shouldn't be here while I have this intimate moment with another human person. Yeah. You know? And it's like, who is going to wait? I always think of this in the context of pro-life work. Who is waiting for that mother on the other side of the door when she, after the abortion? And that's why I loved Franciscan University's pro-life ministry and our buddy Dave Van Vickle who did it because we were waiting for her. 
we told her as she was going in, we can love you and support you through this. And then when she came out, we said, we still love you and we can still support you. And, but now you need to find healing and we'll, we'll, we'll help you do that. Yeah. I do get annoyed with a lot of people that say, like I uh, saw this one part that said, like, if, if, if abortion, there was this post on like Reddit last week, which with all, which, yeah. Is is another reason why I just need to break from everything. They kind of like this guy had a sign that said, "If if abortion is your business, and so are the kids in foster care, or something like that." It was he was just implying that like you care about abortion, but like I'm not about like foster kids. And I was like, "Do you know how many posts I see on like Facebook of people who like you know are saying, oh, we have a foster kid this week, or we were able to go and like you know hang out with the kid that like we fostered last last year, yeah." Like, I mean, probably almost every time, if not at least once a day. Like, there's a lot of people doing a lot of really good things, but there's a lot of people who could be doing more good. But there are a lot yeah. of active pro-life people doing a lot of really uh, people who bring kids and women into their homes for you know long periods of time, who adopt, who um, who financially support all of those things. Yeah, there's a women's shelter here. It's a state like state or municipal women's shelter and almost every woman on the board of directors is from my church and it's for battered women and their children. And the first thing that happens is they have someone meet the woman at the hospital that goes through, helps them, holds their hand through a police report, entertains their kids. If their kids are at the hospital with them, yeah. goes to them at the court date. And these are all volunteers, right? And then these women get a, furnished apartment and then when the women leave to go on and to start their new life they get to take all the furniture out of that apartment with them so they're not starting from scratch like that's powerful it's all donations and it's almost yeah. all donations from pro-life christians because they are the ones sustaining so many of these ministries yeah it's right? really I, and then and then i've got to um, wrap up here i have to, yeah i have to go to bed um it's easy to make these accusations without researching anything or seeing yeah. what's really out there because if not, then it just, you know, um, like, and, and like, this is the hard part with like a lot of these people. I'm sorry. And this like sounds like I'm trying to, you know, yeah. be like these people. Um, this is true even in my own life with, with, with a, with a lot of things like there's a lot of like self-selection that I think that tends to go on where, you don't surround yourself with Christians because you're not. And so the ones that you do see, the ones that you pay attention to are the bad ones who like oh, reinforce yeah. your preconceived notions. Yeah. And we all do this. I'm sure there's like a psychological term for this, but if that's all you see, cause that's all that you want to see and you don't know a lot of Christians or, you know, so it's like people who just think a lot of like atheists are just like crazy ass, you know, communists or like all I'm a communist hate guy, you know, or, or anything yeah. like that. It's like, well, do you know anyone? <laughs> you know, like, like, I mean, this is, I will say, this is like one um, knock against Jordan Peterson. He got called out because he like criticizes Carl, like, Carl, like Marx a lot, as he should, in my opinion, but he's never read the Communist Manifesto or something like that. Mm. Or at least he was. A, uh, uh, there was something that said that he he admitted to not having uh, not having uh, uh, um read that. And I'm like, that's if you're gonna if it's true, if you're gonna rail against this, at least read it. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, know what you well, don't like. Well, he's not railing again. Uh, it, just to throw my stupid two cents in. I, I, I agree with what you just said. Like, let me go back to that. Like, if you inhabit a sphere where you're not with the people that you're critical of the most, and the only time you hear from them is the most negative ones overall. Right. The only time, like, like the only, if you're not a Christian, the only time you hear from Christians is probably when they make the news or when they're annoying you. Yeah. Right. Like, L- like, like how many times have you actually stopped the people who are praying outside of an abortion clinic and talk to them about what they're willing to do or what they have done? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, me and my wife tried to adopt, like uh, I, I used, but here's the funny thing. Okay. So me and my wife tried to adopt someone's child and it was very shaky and we couldn't do it for various reasons but we were open to doing it because i read a book and in that book it and and because once i read a book i changed my life around it um <laughs> <laughs> it was very weird when you were getting real into the similarian or the silmarillion, silmarillion. Yeah. sorry i'm an elf luke i only look i only dance <laughs> yeah. in the night i started walking I around some, the forest singing songs. this one point in time you were going on and on and on about these old like angel god things. i was like dude i don't give a shit it's 12 o'clock and i've been drinking what are we talking about <laughs> anyways go on <laughs> it's who gandalf is luke and the balrogs Anywho, the uh, <laughs> Mithrandir. Anywho, the uh, oh shit, what was I saying? The book read. Oh, the the thing in defense of kind of like Jordan Peterson and the Marxist thing. He isn't necessarily critiquing communism as a geopolitical system of like. He's critiquing Karl Marx and Marxism embedded within gender studies and embedded within uh, economic, um, political like Marxism isn't necessarily communism, right? So he wrote the Communist Manifesto, but I would argue that is the document you should pay attention to the most if you want to see kind of his effect on, like, politics and economics. But you should really focus on some of his other sustained critiques and his advancement of his Hegelian, uh, materialist Hegelian views. Like, that's what changed everything. His, His view that, like, he took... Hegel, who said there's a thesis, and then against it comes an antithesis, and then when those two merge, you get a new synthesis, right? So then, and that that's just what human history is. And Hegel believed that he was the first time that God ever became conscious because God is pure spirit, creation is pure matter as an antithesis, and then they mingle, and we got this Jesus person who's kind of both, but this whole process becomes aware of itself in Hegel. Now, Marx took that and said, well, you got the thesis, capitalism, you have the antithesis, communism and eventually the new synthesis which will end all syntheses is the proletariat revolution but that meant like the antithesis between men and women parents and children that's why marxists today in gender studies are like at war with men because they are the and modern feminist thought in many circles that's very marxist like the french surprisingly are not as marxist as the americans are and so Jordan Peterson is constantly attacking that kind of Marxism. But you're right. If he hasn't read Das Kapital and, and Communist Manifesto, you can't really talk about this stuff in an authoritative way. But Marxism is present in all their stuff. But yeah. you said you were going to go to bed, and I decided to drone on and on about philosophy. No, no, I, I think it's great. I'm, I'm tracking with you. It's just real jobs. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs>